Well, good morning, North Point. It's super exciting for me to be here with you today. Um, I am a mom, and I just want you to know it's been one of the hardest things that all the moms can say amen to that, um, that we've had to do. But um, I wanna introduce you to my family. Um, I have three teenagers, um, and that's because I got married in middle school and started having kids in high school. Thank you for laughing, because that's not true. Um, I, think, I think we have a photo of my kids, maybe we don't. Yeah, no, yes, there we are. Um, so I have our oldest son, Elijah, and then I had twins. Um, that's funny, you can laugh at that, we didn't have twins. Um, Elijah's 17, Addison just turned 14, Mehdi um, will actually be 15 next month. We adopted Mehdi from Ethiopia, he's been home for about five years. And I just wanna ask, um, anybody have toddlers? Anybody have toddlers? Hi, and mighty child. I'm gonna do you a favor because no one did this for me. It gets worse. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm a truth teller. Because when they're toddlers, right, you're exhausted, but you know that nap time is coming. You know that at one or two o'clock, you're throwing them in that room, you're shutting the door and you're getting a little bit of time, right? Eight o'clock bedtime, teenagers go to bed after you. Oh, that's a thing. And here's what I tell my kids. I've spent your whole life praying the devil out of you and a devil out of this house. Don't be letting the devil back up in here when I go to bed. You understand me? Because you know me well enough to know how that will go down and how that will work for you. It's a, it's a deal. It is a deal. Teenagers are something else. But I, I remember when my oldest son was in the first grade and he was going to have a Mother's Day tea at his school. And since he was my oldest, this was my first, like, I'm a mom and I get to go to this thing and it's kind of a big deal. And I have to just let you guys know, I felt so excited about this tea um, because I, I felt like I was doing all the right things as a mom. Like I was super nurturing, super present, um, very stable. I had him and I had a terrorist toddler at the time. And so when she would go, to, when she would go down for a nap and he would get off the bus, it was me and him time, me and Elijah. Man, he'd have a snack waiting in the kitchen. We'd go outside and play ball. We'd go in his room and play cars. Um, we, I was just there for him. Like we connected. I felt so incredibly like good at this mom thing. And so when I get to the Mother's Day tea, his teacher gets up and she makes this announcement. She says, we thought it'd be fun to play a game. And so what I did this week with our, our students was I had them describe their moms. And so I've written all those down. And so when I start reading these out, I want you to raise your hand and guess which one is you. I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. I'm doing this really, really well. I can't wait to hear what Elijah's shared with the world about his mom. And she starts reading through the descriptions and I'm watching the other moms lean over and like, you know, tap their little buddy or their little daughter. My mom sings the best bedtime song. My mom makes the best cookies. My mom gives me extra bubbles in my bubble bath. Like these are all the descriptions being read. One after the other, after the other, after the other. And I'm, I'm waiting, like I'm waiting for my turn. I'm not kidding you. I, this is, sometimes when we're up here, you guys, we embellish stories. I'm not gonna lie. Like you, that's just, but this is exactly what happened. There's one left. I'm the only mom who hasn't gotten her paper sitting next to Elijah. This is what she reads. My mom likes to lay on the couch and watch Young and the Restless while she cries eating ice cream. (laughs) 
I look at Elijah and he goes, remember yesterday? Remember yesterday? Do you know what had happened yesterday? Well, let me tell you what had happened yesterday. I had taken my terrorist toddler to Target and she pitched a fit. She threw herself in the middle of the floor. When I went to pick her up, she says, stranger danger, you're not my mom. And I tried to, had to pull her up in the cart, get her home. By the time he got home, I was frazzled. I was at my end and I said, buddy, I just need a minute. I turned the TV on. I grabbed a Klondike bar from the kitchen and I bawled for 10 minutes while I, had, I got myself together. I don't even know what was on the TV, but apparently he did. And that was what happened yesterday, all the other days didn't make it into my description. <laughs> remember yesterday? Yeah, I remember yesterday. You know, you're going to remember today. That's what I felt like saying. <laughs> He's little. I got home. I cried to my husband. I went through the whole thing. But I, let me tell you the, the honest space that I went to bed in, in this narrative in my mind. I feel so, like, unappreciated. I feel so invisible, like every day I'm doing this right, and then the one day I get it wrong is the one day that everybody finds out about. And you can be a mom, you don't have to be a mom to feel that way, to feel underappreciated, maybe at your job, to feel taken advantage of, to feel like you've messed up and you just need someone to say, hey, it's okay, I've messed up too. Listen, I want to tell you, whoever you are, mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, friend, Jesus sees you today. Jesus knows you today. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that when we get into his word and we read about him, we discover things about him that we absolutely need to know because they will change our lives. And so today, I want to walk you through one of my favorite, favorite stories about Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard it. But there are things in this story that are meant for you today. They're meant for you. I want to take you to John 8. And I want to set the stage for you before we even get into the story. You need to know where Jesus is at in his ministry right now. He has begun to uh, get a following He's begun to get famous. He's done some miracles. He's done some things. And he's starting to stir things up. Not in the best way, according to some people. Um, in today's society, he'd be considered an influencer, right? His IG post, hashtag more miracles, hashtag no big deal. Like he, he's getting notoriety. And some people are all about it and some people aren't. And so this moment where we find him in John 8 just know that everybody's looking at him. All eyes are on Jesus. When I sat in that classroom and all eyes were on me and I didn't want it, here's where Jesus is. And it's early in the morning in the temple. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1 through 6. It says, Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. And then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple of courts again. And soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then, in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery. Do not miss the powerful words of that statement. Caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, teacher, 
we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. So you, here's the scene. Just imagine what this was like. Whenever you read the Bible, whenever you read a story, one of the best ways to connect with a passage is to place yourself there. What was this like? The crowd had gathered, Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden there's this ruckus, there's this chaos, and a woman who I'm gonna assume is barely clothed, head hanging in shame, is standing in the middle of everyone. Imagine the stares. Imagine the looks of disgust. And here's Jesus. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, it clearly states that when a man and a woman have committed adultery, they are guilty and they can be stoned to death. So even in that moment, as the religious scholars, the Pharisees, bring her before Jesus, I can even imagine that as people just begin to pick up their stones, and they're just waiting to hear what Jesus has to say. How does he respond? What is he going to do? What are we going to learn about Jesus through what he does that applies to you and I today? Here's the first thing I want you to know about Jesus. That Jesus is the ultimate grace giver. Jesus is the ultimate grace giver. Look what the passage continues to say. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And let me tell you, biblical scholars have all debated and all theorized, what was Jesus writing? What was he writing? The Bible never tells us. Some people have thought maybe he began to write the sins of those who had already picked up their stones. Maybe he also began to write in the ground that the actual Old Testament and the actual law said that both the man and the woman should be stoned. But who's missing? There is no man who was caught in adultery standing before Jesus. And the reason why that matters today is because in the society and the culture in which Jesus lived, women were so devalued. They were not prized. They were not treated well. They weren't allowed to be educated. And these religious scholars just threw this woman in her sin right in front of Jesus with no care, no thought about what would happen to her but protected their own. So here she stands before Jesus. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their questions. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. Some people have said maybe Jesus began to write in the dust to take everyone's eyes, the hateful, judgmental eyes off of this barely clothed woman. He was trying to honor her by removing the attention that she was getting. Upon hearing that, her accuser slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to youngest with a convicted conscience. Until finally, Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back and said to her, dear woman. When you study that word in the Greek, it is a term of honor. It is a term of respect. 
to someone who had done nothing honoring and nothing respectful. Where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? And looking around, she said, I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Everything about that feels wrong because she had done the deed. She was in another man's bed. She had broken the law. She had broken either her own marriage covenant or the man's marriage covenant. She was guilty and she stood before Jesus and she knew that her fate was in his hands. And what was he going to do? And I want to ask you, when's the last time you've done something, you've thought something, and you were guilty? You absolutely had no leg to stand on other than the fact that it's true. It's, it's what I did. And you were hoping, you were hoping that someone would offer grace. Do you know why grace matters so much? Do you know why you need it and I need it? Listen, you need grace to be true because you know you. You need grace to be true because you know you. And we, we live in a society where we don't find grace on social media. Man, let somebody find out what you did and just let all the keyboard warriors go to bat telling you everything wrong with you. But let me tell you something else. Just imagine this morning, if when you walked in here and when you walked into this room, everyone looks so nice. It's a beautiful day. We're in church. But let's just imagine that when you came in today, when you walked through those doors, that there was a pause in the service. And you were invited to come up on this stage. And as you stood here in front of everybody, on these screens popped up your face and your name and every secret sin you've ever done. The ones that your wife doesn't know about. The ones that your husband doesn't know about. The ones you hope your parents never find out. The thing you want your boss to hopefully look, look past and not dig into. And you stood right here. And as you stood here, they just begin to scroll. Imagine how you'd feel. Embarrassed, exposed, ashamed. You wanna know why you need to know today that Jesus is the ultimate grace giver? Because grace is the answer for shame. Grace is the answer for shame. Shame says, you're miserable. Grace says you're mine. Shame says you're a failure, but grace says you're forgiven. Shame says you'll never be good enough, and grace says you don't have to be. Shame says you're just a loser, and grace says you are loved. Grace is the answer for shame, and that's why you need to know today that Jesus is the ultimate grace giver and has 
all of the grace for you. There is no sin that could scroll up on these screens. There is no shame that you could be carrying that will exhaust the grace supply of God that he has for you. I don't know your story. I don't know what those things are. I don't have to. Jesus knows. And Jesus says, I have grace for you. Romans 8, 1 says it this way, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Whoever you are today, whatever you've done today, Jesus is your ultimate grace giver. Here's the second thing you need to know about Jesus. And before I share it, I want you to know, these two things are not at odds with each other. Somehow in in our world, in our society, we've made these things fight with each other, and they don't fight with each other. They actually go together really well. Here's the second point. Jesus never sacrifices the truth. Jesus never sacrifices the truth. Look at the end of verse 11. Here's what he says. After he asks her if there's uh, anyone left to accuse her, and she says they've all left, and Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. He doesn't stop there. Pay attention to what he says. He says, go and sin no more. Go be free from a life of sin. Why does Jesus throw that in there? Because overlooking sin and ignoring sin is not love. Overlooking sin, turning a blind eye to it, acting like it's not a big deal, that is not loving. Love is truth. Truth is love, and love protects There was a few weeks ago where I was leaving one of our campuses on a beautiful Sunday morning like today, and this campus runs right up against a four-lane highway, and cars are doing 50, 60 miles back and forth, and outside on the sidewalk, there was a young dad with his little girl, and she'd had enough Jesus. She was done. She, the worship might have been whatever, but she was like, I need to get outside. So this young dad is walking along the sidewalk holding this terrorist toddler in his arms, and you can imagine what she's doing. She's fighting, she's grabbing his face, she's doing everything she can to get down, and he's trying to hold on to her. Until finally he relents, and he puts her down. And what does she do? She runs straight for the road. Listen, when your kid makes it to seven years old, you deserve a trophy, because all kids do is try to die all the time. My kid almost got hit by the ice cream truck, and y'all know they don't go fast. I mean, good, they are always trying to die. And so he would put her down, and as soon as she, she would take off, and then what would he do? He'd run, and he'd scoop her up, and she'd fight, and she'd scream, and she'd kick, and then he'd try it again. And sure enough, she's, and I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm like, she does not understand that he is trying to protect her. He understands that if she gets into that road, it'll destroy her. It'll kill her. So in love for her, he's pulling her away from danger. Why is this so easy for us to see for children and yet so hard for us to see for ourselves? How many times is God saying to you, no, that's not good for you. That's going to damage you. That's going to destroy you. That's going to ruin your family. Come back from danger. I love you too much to let you do that to yourself. And we are just as bad as that toddler kicking and screaming against the loving boundaries from a loving heavenly father willing to run into what will ultimately destroy us. 
Jesus never sacrifices the truth because he is the truth. He doesn't just dispense truth. He doesn't just relay truth. He is the truth. And he never sacrifices the truth. But can I tell you what's missing today? We've forgotten how to tell the truth in a gracious way. Man, maybe it's too soon. And I don't know if it's different in Fresno. But the political climate, where people who claim to know and love Jesus on either side of any politician or issue just decide that it's okay for them to rant and go crazy on everybody and everything that they disagree with? Have we not grown weary of an American Christianity that throws around the word Christian but looks nothing like Christ? Have we not grown weary of an American Christianity that loves to turn evangelical but is doing very little evangelizing? Have we not grown weary of an American Christianity that is not built on the gospel of compassion but rather criticism and condemnation? Put yourself in this story. You know what we do when we read these stories? We go, oh, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus, Jesus. I would have been with Jesus. Would you have been? Would people say that you're a person marked by grace? What about your kids? Do they experience you as gracious? Boundaries, absolutely. Restrictions, absolutely. But grace, compassion when they mess up. Are you generous with forgiveness? Are you able to empathize with someone when they've messed up and say, hey, it's okay, I've messed up too. If you are, then that puts you on the side of Jesus. If not, it puts us on the side of the Pharisees. And since you need grace to be true because you know you, just know that every single person around you is in need of grace as well. And when we dispense truth, And when we have to share truth, we can look at Jesus and see how he does it in a gracious way. Do you know what what it was like when she stood before Jesus? Jesus didn't just see a woman caught in adultery. Think about this for a moment. Jesus was there when she was created. Jesus saw the innocent little girl that she once was. Jesus saw the beautiful creation he had made in his image. When he locked eyes with her, he wasn't locking eyes with a stranger. He was locking eyes with his own beloved. And so he was compelled in his nature to give grace and to give her the truth. Why? Because the truth sets us free. It sets us free. Here's what Jesus knew. If you will leave this life of sin, you will be free. Because here's here's what we need to remember about truth. Truth says you get to make the choice, but you don't get to control. Truth says you get to choose, You don't get to control. That little girl running on the sidewalk without her dad there, she could choose to run into the highway, but she she would not get to control what happened to her as a result of that. 
We get to decide our choices. We don't get to determine our consequences. And since Jesus knows what those are, truth is trying to protect. Truth is love. Love is truth. And today, with whatever circumstance you're facing, with whatever you're walking through or facing, you need to know Jesus never sacrifices the truth, but he always speaks the truth in a gracious way. And Jesus can relate to where you are. Listen, some of you here that are moms, you say, well, Jesus wasn't a mom. No, you're right, he wasn't. But read the Gospels. He's always trying to get away from the disciples. He's like, oh, no, I got to go away. They're like, no, can we come? He's like, no, 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 you can't. Um, there's a lake, and I'll probably cause a storm, and I probably won't calm it down. I need you guys to stay over here. Sometimes it reminds me of, like, the young mom who's just trying to go to the bathroom by herself, and there's like, a, there's like a, a, a riot at the door. Let us in. You know, the disciples, read the gospels. They were a hot mess a lot of the time. And Jesus like needed space. They were, Jesus, we were looking for you. He was like, I was trying not to be found. And Jesus can relate to where you are. He understands. But here's why I want to share this with you today. Because there's too many American Christians in love with a, a ritual, a religion, but lacking in relationship. We're really good at this Sunday thing. We're really good at the serving thing. We may be really good at the giving thing. We understand um, the ins and outs of Christianity. But in all of that, we've lost the person of Christ and what he wants for us and what he wants with us. But Jesus can relate to where you are. Jesus got hungry. He went 40 days without food. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus got tired. Anybody tired? Have you ever been betrayed? Gossiped about? Thought we were good and oh, we're not good? Stabbed in the back? That's happened to Jesus. Have you experienced loss this year? Grief? Jesus wept. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus cares about what you're going through. And why does that matter? It matters because he knows, he understands, he's with us, he's for us, he loves us. And too many of us just kind of walk by and leave him off to the side and go about because we're so busy. Because we've got things to do. Now when those things fall apart, we run back. He's grace, and he shows up. But he wants to be so much more than your 911 call. He wants to be your ever constant, ever close companion with you through it all, close to you. Have you ever wondered why did God choose to send Jesus the way he did? I mean, read that story. We make it pretty with, you know, lights and songs at Christmas, but it's sort of jacked up, to be honest with you. There's baby Jesus in a barn. Why did God do that? So we would know he knew. 
so we can know that Jesus gets it. Jesus gets you. Everything about you, he gets you and he loves you. So what is our response to that? What do we do with that? Man, why wouldn't we just choose to pursue him with all of our hearts and lives? Knowing that he's the ultimate grace giver, knowing that he's never gonna sacrifice the truth, knowing that he can relate to where we are, why would we ever just relegate him to this compartment of our lives rather than giving him all of ourselves? Listen to what it says in the Psalms 34, eight. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Another translation says it this way, find out for yourself how good the Lord is. How many of you know for yourself how good God is? We adopted our, our youngest son, Mehdi, from Ethiopia, and he's been home now for about five years. He was in an orphanage for four and a half years before he came home. And a couple of years ago, in the midst of a crazy week, crazy season, I was dropping one off and, you know, picking one up. It was just him and I. And I said, hey, let's go try this new restaurant. And he loves to eat. When he first came home, you guys, he didn't know what it felt like to be full. So we had some incidents after dinner where he couldn't contain all of the goodness he had absorbed. <laughs> uh, and I'll leave it like that. Um, he just, he didn't know. And so when we go to this restaurant, we sit down, and I said, Mehdi, you can have anything you want. Now his eyes are a little bit, because you know, y'all, trying to feed three teenagers, you're like, your kid's menu, they said 12 and under, they don't have to know. Like, you just, <laughs> you're short, leave it alone. <laughs> Mehdi, you can have anything you want. Anything on the menu is for you. Oh, his, look at it, you could see his eyes. He, he just, he, he lit up with excitement. And he ordered this giant calzone. I mean, it looked like it was half his body weight on the plate. And I captured this photo because when he got it, that, I mean, he literally, it was just, but just look at his face. And so as we sat there and we started talking about his life, started talking about things he'd been through, I said, what was the thing about America that you just, you didn't imagine, you couldn't imagine, you couldn't comprehend? And he said, the food. So much food, and, and, and a lot of it, and all the time. And he has this genuine wonder and love for just the amount of food and the good kinds of food. You want to know why it means so much to Mehdi? Because he remembers being hungry. He could tell you, on Monday in the orphanage, we ate this. On Tuesday, we had this. On Wednesday, we had this. Before he was in an orphanage, he sometimes ate once a day. He knows hunger. He knows what it is to feel hungry, so he's so grateful to feel full. There are too many of us. There are too many of us who don't even realize how hungry, how malnourished spiritually how spiritually emaciated we are because we haven't tasted for ourselves to experience the goodness of God. Maybe we sat at the table for a while, but we've gotten up and walked away. Maybe we pass by the table and say, mm, sure looks good, but I've got stuff to do. 
When's the last time you entered into time with Jesus with a face like Medi has right now? Jesus, I'm in all of you. Jesus, I'm, I'm undone by you. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your grace. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your loving truth. Jesus, I'm so grateful that you can relate to me right where I am right now in the middle of my mess. You get me. You understand me. You love me. You are for me. And I don't want to go through my life separated from you. I don't want to go through my life hungry and wanting for more of you when you just give me yourself over and over again. God, teach me me to stay here. Teach me to find out for myself today and tomorrow and the next day how good you are. Don't let me get up and walk away. And I just want to ask you today, where are you in your pursuit of Jesus? Moms, I want to ask you, the children that you've prayed for, the children that God has given to you, they are a gift. Do you love them more than the giver? Any person, child, spouse, they're a lousy God. Have you learned how to love them by first loving the one who gave them to you more than you actually love them? whoever you are across the room when's the last time when is the last time you said I've tasted and seen that God is good your pursuit of Jesus has everything to do with your priorities your life is not the idea that you've come up with in your mind your life is your literal seconds minutes hours days weeks months and years so if I look at those and if you look at those where would you rate or where does the pursuit of Jesus fit in can I ask you today wherever you're at what does your next step look like maybe it's to thank him for his grace Maybe it's to go find someone in need of grace and lavish it on them the way he's lavished it on you. Maybe it's to speak truth in someone's life in a gracious way. Maybe it's separating from the noise and the chaos of life and just spending time with Jesus. What is he speaking to you right now? My challenge to you, my encouragement to you is to take that next step, whatever it is. Jesus, in light of everything that we get to experience, we are surrounded by your goodness. We are surrounded by your greatness. We are surrounded by your presence. And yet, God, we can miss it if we aren't looking for you, if we aren't pursuing you, if we aren't prioritizing you. So God, across this space, in this room, and outside, and online, every person listening, God, I pray that they would evaluate right now the condition of their heart. God, I pray that right now they would open up their heart and say, God, where do you want to meet me right now? What do you want from me? And I pray, God, that we would not walk away from that, run away from that, ignore that. I pray that we would lean in, that we would listen to your voice. 
that we would turn back today and say we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done. That we would reprioritize our busyness to make time for you, to be with you, to know you. God, we ask you that in all things we would see you. We ask that in all things we would thank you. And we thank you now for the way that you love us. In your name we pray. Amen.